Since 1921, the Gridiron Greats Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers have been battling helmet to helmet. Yes, this rivalry between the Bears and the Pack is the fiercest and most chronicled in the NFL. Now's your chance to be a part of it. Join us on September 12th at 6 p.m. for a Bears-Packers history shootout. Chicago Bears owner Pat McCaskey takes on John Lombardi, grandson of Vince. Try to stump the experts, and perhaps they will stump you, at Holy Rosary Parish, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Admission is $10 a person, $25 for a family, and $5 for a student with ID. Call 224-206-8455 for tickets, or go online at wsficatholicradio.org. That's 224-206-8455, wsficatholicradio.org. Proceeds to benefit WSFI Catholic Radio. My name is Father John Grigas. I'm the rector of the Shrine of St. Max and Colby at Marytown. I'm a priest, and as priests, we are responsible for forming you in the presence of Christ through the sacraments, through the preaching, through everything else. But you are the Christ who goes out into the world and brings the good news. And WSFI is one of the main means. And so God bless all that WSFI does. And please support WSFI in whatever means that you can so that this wonderful station may continue to broadcast the good news and evangelize our culture. WSFI 88.5 FM. Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Hello, I'm Patrick Riley, president of the Cardinal Newman Society. I'm looking forward to being at the Schoenstatt Retreat Center in Waukesha on September 15th at 7 o'clock. We'll be talking about Catholic education and classical education, the renewal that is undergoing Catholic education today, and it's very exciting, so I hope to see you there. Helping men to live their Catholic faith boldly. This is Men of Christ Radio on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Powerful and inspiring conversations with Catholic speakers and leaders about your family, your parish, your nation, your world, and what you, as a man of Christ, can do about it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Men of Christ Radio. I'm your host, your humble host, Brian Farley, and uh, we are very excited to have Mr. Patrick Riley, who is founder and president of the Cardinal Newman Society, as our guest today, and lots to talk about there. Before we get to him, I just want to do a couple of quick, uh, exciting announcements, actually. Uh, we have our speaker list for our 2018 conference, which is going to be happening March 10th, 2018, in Milwaukee at what is now the Miller High Life Theater. It used to be the Milwaukee Theater. Now it's the Miller High Life Theater, which uh, we all like. So uh, that's March 10th, 
2018. Um, and then our Young Men of Christ Conference will be the night before, March 9th. That's generally for guys 18 to 35. Our speakers are going to be Mr. Tim Staples, Father Robert Spitzer, Father Cliff Emottinger. He's uh, big here in the Archdiocese in Milwaukee. Dave Durand, big speaker. You've probably heard him on Relevant Radio and several other places. And, of course, Archbishop Listecki will be doing our, our closing mass. So another great event, our 12th, I believe, 12th annual Men of Christ Conference here in Milwaukee. There's more information at menofchrist.net. And we've got you know just some basic information. We'll be updating it, obviously, as the weeks and months go by. But that's all exciting news. That's menofchrist.net. We also have a Facebook page, which I think is Men of Christ MKE, <laughs> but I'm not sure. If you just search Men of Christ, you'll find it. And uh, we keep updates on there. So we've got that going for us, which is very exciting. We also have our sponsors to thank, Catholic Financial Life. Without them, we wouldn't be here on the radio. So thanks to, to Catholic Financial Life for all their support. And uh, then we've got Mr. Riley. So what I'm going to do is start, as we always do, with a quick prayer, consecrating ourselves and our show to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Join me, if you will, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Mary, my Queen, my Mother, I give myself entirely to you. And to show my devotion to you, I consecrate to you this day my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart, my whole being without reserve. Wherefore, good Mother, as I am your own, keep me and guard me as your property and possession. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, we're, uh, we're rushing through it because we want to get to Mr. Riley right here. He is a founder and president of the Cardinal Newman Society, dedicated to defending and supporting authentic Catholic education at all levels. Many of you are probably aware there's been some problems with Catholic education in the last 50 years or so. And uh, the Cardinal Newman Society started up around 1993 to, uh, to work on that. Primarily, our focus today is higher education because we are celebrating the not-so-happy occasion of an event in the summer of 1967, uh, the writing and issuing of what was called the Lando Lakes Statement, which uh, that's what we're going to talk to Patrick about today and learn more about that and the state of Catholic higher education and what's going on and what Cardinal Newman Society is trying to do about it and other groups and uh, what you can do about it, too. So with that, uh, Patrick, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, today, as we're speaking, this is uh, we're recording this during the, the great uh, solar eclipse. Have you seen any action? On, and you're out in Virginia, I believe. Is that correct? We did. Yeah, it, it got close. To, it felt like it was dusk, about the sun going down. That was about as dark as it got here. But it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, we were pretty cloudy here too in Wisconsin, but uh, it got you know, a little gloomy. So that's that's something. But. Uh -huh. uh, all right. Well, then I'll just leave it to you. Can you just give us a quick uh, synopsis of what, what the Cardinal Newman Society is and what you guys are about? Sure. Well, you know, we, we start from a concern that uh, much of Catholic higher education and elementary and secondary education uh, lost something of its its salt, you know, over the last 50 years, some to a greater extent than, than other institutions. But uh, certainly Catholic education has been in decline in terms of our institutions and our students. Uh, we're now, we've lost about 60% of our Catholic schools in the United States over the last 50 years. But more important, I think, is that we've lost a, something of a sense of what Catholic education is all about, the foundations of Catholic education, which begin with the Church's mission of evangelization. And if we recapture that, I think we can recapture the... Uh, 
uh, all of the the glory of of Catholic education, which really was has been just an outstanding achievement of the Catholic Church, particularly in the United States uh, since the you know before the founding of the country. That's an excellent point, and I wanted to ask why there is a need for a Cardinal Newman Society, uh, but. Really, I mean, you, because of the decline. But I guess I guess to why is there de- the decline? And I, I, mm-hmm. I guess I would assume it's the loss of priests and nuns who are running the schools, and and then in lay people moving in. Yeah, I, that that was a huge part of it. Although you know, we see today that frankly some of the most vibrant and faithful institutions are lay run, lay established. So it's it's not you know the the fact that you move from religious to laity in itself is not a problem in terms of Catholic identity. But certainly, the the loss of of the of the sisters from from most of our schools has certainly impacted elementary and secondary education. But at all levels, saw especially coming out of the 1960s, the late 60s, early 70s, told distrust of authority, distrust of moral authority of the church. Uh, the great dissent that resulted after the Humanae Vitae encyclical, all of the problems that the church has faced over the last 50 years, and just, of course, the the dramatically increased uh, secularism in, in the United States in general, all of that has greatly impacted Catholic education, and arguably it's gone the other way, that much of what has happened in Catholic education and certain educators, particularly in some of our colleges and universities, have been very instrumental in, in leading many of our Catholics away from the true faith. There was a lot of dissent in the theology departments, especially coming out of the late 60s and 70s. That has slowly been improving at most institutions, and we really are in an upswing. We're in a very hopeful time for Catholic education, but a lot still has to happen. Well, good. Then I want to ask more about that that hopeful side later on, because sure. we need that. Um, but specifically, certainly in my minimal knowledge, uh, kind of a epicenter of a lot of this was the Land O'Lakes Statement, 1967. A bunch of folks got together in Land O'Lakes, Wisconsin, and decided, you know, Catholic education is going to be different than it has been prior to that. Can you tell us more, obviously, about the, the Land O'Lakes Statement? Yeah, you know, the, so it's it's interesting that the Land O'Lakes Statement has widely come to be known as the watershed moment at which Catholic higher education, in many respects, separated from the church. Many of the institutions, at least formally, separated from the church immediately in the wake, uh, in the next five to ten years after the Land O'Lakes Statement, uh, turning over their boards of trustees to... To, to an independent board that was no longer controlled by the by the church or by any of the religious orders, and uh, in some cases even started taking crucifixes off the walls and trying to diminish the Catholic identity of the institution. So it was a rather rapid change. Um, you know, on the other hand, it is a watershed moment. Did did the document itself create this? No, I don't think that's the case. I think the document was a symptom of the times, and it was actually a part of a formal process 
just launched by the Vatican's International Federation of Catholic Universities, where they asked each region of the world, this was the North American meeting, to uh, educators in each region to start talking about the meaning of a Catholic university, particularly in, in contemporary times. And so Father Theodore Hesburgh, the president of the University of Notre Dame, pulled together a group. Now, what were his motivations? I don't know, but I think it can be certainly understood that this was a very small group of people, very you know, hand-selected, and certainly not a representative group of educators in the United States. There were only 10 colleges and universities represented at this meeting and only six of them were in the United States. Uh, we had Notre Dame, Boston College, Catholic University of America, Fordham, Georgetown, uh, and St. Louis University were represented at this meeting. And the vast majority of the participants were either uh, Jesuit or tied to Jesuit universities or tied to Notre Dame, either coming directly out of the university or with the Holy Cross Fathers. And so it was heavily dominated by certain voices. The emphasis was very much on large research universities. They really weren't thinking very much about the small Catholic colleges, although it did have a real impact on Catholic higher education generally. So it was this was an, an actual formal part of, of the church's process. And uh, unfortunately, what resulted, the statement that resulted, uh, caused a, a lot of havoc or, or certainly opened the door to havoc that was I think many were, were pushing for in the first place. It seems almost like a parallel to what happened with Vatican II and that people just kind of took it and ran. And, right. Yeah, and just uh, went with what they interpreted it to be rather than what it actually or you know may have been stating. In an article you wrote recently uh, on, on the occasion of the 50th anniversary, the Land O'Lakes statement has caused devastation for 50 years is the name of the, <laughs> the article. You talked uh, some about the the long-standing trends that led up to this, and you you kind of briefly went over that before. But people like Monsignor John Tracy Ellis and the actually the the battle uh, with uh, Bishop Sheen way back in the right. '30s, some of this was going on. So can you tell us some some more about how how this came to be with larger trends like that? Sure. You know, I you know especially for for younger Catholics today, you know, we kind of look back at the the 1950s, 1940s as the heyday of the church. You know, at least in terms of the real traditional sense of the church, and and really, you know, going well back into the 30s, uh, there was a real push in academia to try to mold our Catholic institutions to be more like the Ivy League schools, which were moving further and further away from their own. Own religious roots. I mean, it's one of the things we forget today is that Harvard, Princeton, Yale, these were all divinity schools when they started, primarily for educating, you know, preachers, pastors, uh, and their various Christian denominations. And they have completely secularized. And there was a real push, and still is, uh, within our Catholic institutions to become what some saw as a as what was necessary to be a true educational institution, and that was to shed any sort of what they viewed as a bias on on you know religious matters uh, from the university. And so 
you could have a Catholic institution sponsored by the Catholic Church that was open to Catholic activities and discussion about Catholic things, but you certainly couldn't hold to the Catholic teaching as true. And and that was the battle going on, going as far back as when, you know, then Father Fulton Sheen was at Catholic University of America teaching philosophy, and uh, and it's it's continued since then. It's it's an ongoing struggle. You quote um, uh, Bishop Sheen in your article, and it's a great quote because it really you know as he does, he just nails it. Mm-hmm. Um, he he says the task of integrating the supernatural with the natural, of infusing human knowledge with the divine, of complementing our knowledge of things with our knowledge of God, of making all things theocentric is the business of a Catholic university. And that just very clearly states it in a way that, you know, you don't hear anymore, <laughs> which is too often the case with, you know, with almost, almost everything, but it's certainly in the context of uh, Catholic schools, Catholic universities. Um, so I just, I found that really fascinating that he was fighting this trend as far back as that. That's um, right. Yeah, and as it, you know, as Pope uh, Saint John Paul II said, it, the task of a university, any university, is to consecrate itself without, you know, without holding back at all to the cause of truth, right? And the Catholic University understands the Catholic faith to be true. We understand that we have the advantage of revelation from God. And that sheds light on absolutely every discipline that you might study at the university. And to deny truth would be against the very purpose of a university. And John Henry Newman, blessed John Henry Newman, our patron for the Cardinal Newman Society, argued, in fact, that a Catholic university is actually the only true university because it's the only university that doesn't exclude this whole branch of knowledge, this whole truth that was revealed to us by God. And, and therefore, it's able to do so much more than other institutions are in, in grasping and teaching and, and discovering and learning more about truth. The problem is, is that if you don't have faith, if you don't really believe that or you're not willing to have the fidelity to, to uphold that truth, well, then the only thing you have to fall back on is the, you know, the, the human way of discovering truth, and that is through dialogue and through being open to all opinions and, and all information, and, and that's all part of the process even at a Catholic university. But we do that with a recognition that the Catholic faith is true. And those who don't believe that and struggle with that are, are going to say, well, we need to just treat that as one opinion among many. And that, that simply goes against the foundation of a Catholic university. And that does seem to be, yeah, it's the, the general accepted consensus is that it's just one opinion among many. So who are you to say that I can't have my LGBTQ club on campus or I can't have my birth control for free or whatever else because... All right, your Catholic truth says that's wrong, but my truth says that's right. And there, right. to me, it's, it's the dictatorship of relativism on the college campus. Right. And so to go back to your question, how did this happen? What, what really happened? I think it can all be summed up very quickly as a crisis of faith. And that's what we have struggled with for the last 50 years and to some extent since the, the beginning of time, right? Yeah. This is a, it's a crisis of faith fundamentally. And if you really believe that what the church teaches is true 
and that the divine revelation comes to us in a different way than other forms of knowledge. And if you're willing to accept that, then the Catholic University makes a lot of sense. If you're not willing to accept it, the Catholic University makes no sense at all. No, exactly. Now that's, um, I guess, I, not to put you on the spot here, but you guys, the Cardinal Newman Society does an excellent job of cataloging or reporting on uh, what I'll call offenses against the faith at schools all around the country, high school, like my alma mater high school, St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland, Ohio, for instance, but also colleges and universities. And what would you say are some of the, the worst offenses that you've seen in the, in the last, since you've been doing this since 1993? Yeah, there, there have been a lot of high profile offenses, you know, things that just clearly do not gel with an institution that allegedly accepts the Catholic faith, you know, so you'll have giving high-profile awards and honors to pro-abortion congressmen, or, you know, today everything seems to revolve around the gender issues and the sexual issues, and so uh, you'll see a lot of dissent on those things, and and those are all uh, offensive um, and and clearly contrary to Catholic identity. I, the, the things that worry me, obviously, the most are, are the ones that... Uh, when these things are done in such a way that we're actually leading young people astray. And, and that's very, very dangerous. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, what we're going to do here, we're going to take a quick break, and, uh, and then we'll be back on Men of Christ Radio, brought to you by Catholic Financial Life, uh, with our guest, Mr. Patrick Riley, who is president and founder of the Cardinal Newman Society. So uh, please stick around. We'll be right back. Ignatius Press and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Hello, I'm Father James Kubicki, the U.S. Director of the Apostleship of Prayer, and I ask you to support Catholic Radio in your area because Catholic Radio is the way that we can get the word out today. It's Catholic evangelization at its best, and I've heard conversion stories all over the place because of people who have tuned in as they're driving or in their homes, listening to Catholic Radio by accident and the Lord touching their hearts through the message they heard. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois, 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. All right, 
right, we're back on Men of Christ Radio on WSFI 88.5 Catholic Radio. My name is Brian Farley, and we're talking to Patrick Riley, president and founder of the Cardinal Newman Society, all about the state of Catholic education, particularly Catholic higher education in our country today. And although, actually, I guess that would be a question for you, Patrick. Um, I know the Lando Lake statement was primarily about American colleges and universities. You mentioned a Vatican investigation or asking people to uh, internationally take a look at the state of Catholic education around the world. Is this kind of a global phenomenon? Uh, it is. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we've seen some some horrendous things happening at Catholic universities around the world. However, um, you take all the Catholic universities of the world and add them up, and I believe the majority are still in the United States. Uh, we have a much larger system of Catholic colleges and universities and certainly elementary and secondary schools than anywhere else in the world. And so uh, what happens in the U.S. has a great influence everywhere else. Yeah, no, you, good and bad in that, but uh, in this case, <laughs> not so good. Right. Did um, all Catholic universities in, in, in the U.S. You know, follow this path, or did some hang on to their Catholic foundations? Um, so, Land O'Lakes statement was issued in 1967, and and the worst part of it, you know, a lot of it was was not so bad, but the worst statement in there was this declaration of independence, essentially saying that that a Catholic university, in order to be a true university, must be independent of all authority of any kind, lay or clerical. And it was a clear indication that that these institutions intended to no longer recognize the authority of the the church hierarchy over these independent Catholic institutions. And like I said, over the next decade, nearly every Catholic college or university in the United States uh, separated itself legally from the church so that they were independent institutions. And this was a very deliberate move. So I would say, yes, it was... Uh, uh, it was pretty much across the board. There was the the only institution represented at the Land O'Lakes uh, conference meeting that that basically dissented from the statement was Catholic University of America. The the provost uh, spoke out rather strongly against it, and and. You know, I think that set the stage for decades later, even though the Catholic University of America had a, a number of problems itself internally, especially with its theology department, has come back very strong. And it's a, a good, strong institution that uh, clearly disagrees with the statement. Um, it wasn't soon, it wasn't long after the statement that we did start having new institutions spring up that rejected the statement and basically sprang up, you know, almost in reaction to it. Um, the first of these was Thomas Aquinas College out in California. And then we had, uh, in the 70s, we had Christendom College in Virginia. Magdalene, now Northeast Catholic College in New Hampshire, Thomas More College of Liberal Arts in New Hampshire. You know, these were all institutions that that jumped in and, and started. It's still very small institutions, but uh, have had a great impact on the church and set a great example for other Catholic universities. Yeah, that's great and very, very encouraging and, and historically just interesting, you know, I mean, the whole long history of universities throughout uh, Western civilization. But one thing you, you mentioned in your what you were just saying uh, about the Land O'Lakes statement, and I think in your article you expound on a little bit, but how these schools declared they were free of all authority 
And yet they all pretty much took on the yoke of government regulation because they needed that federal money. And so now they're pretty much just beholden like every other school to whatever yep. the government wants to tell them. Yeah, uh, they, you know, they greatly embraced um, government authority. And one of the reasons was the enticement of money, which is always something that we're always looking for with our Catholic institutions. And and it's a, a real caution for what we're, the phase we're entering into now, where we actually have a federal administration that's willing to look at school choice programs, vouchers, tax credits, and these things, which are outstanding if they enable people to go to Catholic schools who otherwise could not. But we have to be very, very careful about what sort of strings are being attached to all of this. Uh, we just went through eight years of an administration that was quite eager to to use government money as a way of, of uh, imposing certain things on our religious institutions. So it's a you know, it's an interesting time that we're in, but at the time of Land O'Lakes and in the years soon afterward, that's when we had a number of these major Supreme Court decisions on uh, church-state issues. And, uh, you know, to be fair, at the time of the Land O'Lakes statement, there was a widespread, almost universal concern in the church that no longer would any religious institution be allowed to receive any uh, government aid, state or federal, because of the way these, these cases seem to be going. Uh, in fact, they ended up going in a little different direction, and uh, the most faithful Catholic institutions today, the ones that accept federal aid, really have no problems at the moment with uh, any kind of strings attached to that. Um, so uh, thus far, they've been able to maintain a very strong Catholic identity and still accept the aid. But you had states like Ford, or states like New York and Massachusetts and other places that were pretty anti-religious in terms of, of allowing any aid to go to those states or to go to those institutions. And so you had places like Fordham and Boston College very quick to do things like taking the crucifixes off the walls and doing everything they could to appear secular in nature, but Catholic simply by their sponsorship. And now, I mean, well, that brings up a lot of questions, but one is, doesn't that then jeopardize them in other ways, uh, their their tax-free status or their, you know, I know there's been some union battles where unions have said, you're not religious, you should, you know, your teacher should be allowed to unionize. And they say, no, no, we're a private religious school. And they said, prove it, you're religious. And they can't even prove it. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's. The, the union battle is really intriguing right now, and and we've tried to bring some attention to it, but it gets so complex, I think a lot of people have trouble following exactly what's going on. But basically what's happening is back in the 70s, the Supreme Court said that, that the National Labor Relations Board that governs uh, union activity and and uh, and union elections cannot assert any jurisdiction over any Catholic education, any religious education. And so we've had this ongoing battle where the board keeps trying to assert itself over Catholic universities and rightly, these Catholic universities have been saying, no, you have no jurisdiction and they've been fighting it. And when it goes to court, they win, but it takes years to do that. Um, meanwhile, the National Labor Relations Board is going into these institutions and conducting its own tests of whether the universities or 
the particular faculty are sufficiently religious in their functions that uh, that it itself says, yeah, you're right, we, we, we're not going to assert jurisdiction here because that would raise too many constitutional issues. And the investigations that the Labor Relations Board has been doing are just really great. They're very eye-opening and they show how very, very secular many of these Catholic universities are that are claiming well, we don't want to allow a union because we're Catholic, and yet we're not going to impose anything on our faculty with regard to our Catholic identity. So it's a really interesting thing that um, we've we've been in this position of strongly opposing the NLRB and saying you have no right to go in and do these investigations of religious identity. That's that in itself is a violation of the Constitution, the, the First Amendment, and yet. <laughs> What they're revealing is just great. I mean, it's it's the information is 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 wonderful, and and they're frankly they're right on in saying that these institutions aren't very Catholic. Yeah, no, I, that's fascinating, and I think in the whole Title IX battle, uh, Title IX for folks who don't know, it's a law passed in the '70s to basically make it possible for women to participate in NCAA sports or just college level sports. That's how it started. And in the last eight years, yeah, it's become now forcing all kinds of, I, I guess I would, you know, gay rights uh, requirements on, on schools. And, you know, if you're a Catholic school, there's there's a theological issue here, but fed, I guess legally you're not allowed to address that, or I, I don't know what schools do in that case. Yeah, it's been very difficult, and then that's been largely under the Obama administration, where we're getting mixed signals from the Trump administration whether that will continue or not, and so we're still sort of waiting. Um, it's actually less about uh, the, the gay issues and more about the gender, the transgender issue. And the ironic thing of it all is that Title IX has, whether you you know whether you agree that the government should have imposed it on colleges and universities or not. There's no question that it has had a real strong impact in helping to force parity with with women's sports and men's sports. And now with this this new push, they're basically eliminating the distinctions and saying that if a male wants to be on a women's team, they can. Woman wants to be on a man's team, they can, as long as they declare themselves one or the other. And it's it has it threatens to dismantle all the gains that the Title IX made in terms of women's sports because you could see guys unfortunately saying sure you know i'll i'll run in the women's track meet and i'll win the the gold medal and and be proud of myself yeah and there's been some high profile cases where that very thing has happened and yep. it's interesting yeah it's like a self-annihilating law here uh, so we'll see how that develops um so I, did anything good come of the lando lakes statement oh the statement itself well you know i th i think anytime something is put in writing and clarified and said this is what we're all about it helps people to focus and that's why in many ways you know I, I, a lot of these changes were happening regardless in higher education but the fact that the statement was issued and really clarified what's going on uh, I think eventually what happened is the land of lake statement is exactly what led to ex corde ecclesiae uh, about 25 years later uh, in 1990 when the church you know explicitly rejected certain aspects of uh, land of lakes embraced some other aspects of it which were fine and and made it clear that this is what a Catholic University is and a lot of people don't understand how momentous that was you know the very first 
universities as we understand it today in Europe were either sponsored by the church or at least funded and supported by the church. And so when when ex corde ecclesiae means from the heart of the church, and it 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 has a double meaning in that the Pope uh, Pope St. John Paul II was saying that Catholic universities come from the heart of the church. Historically, they come from the heart of the church because it was the Catholics who basically started universities, but also uh, they need to be seated at the heart of the church, right? And so um, when he issued ex corde ecclesiae, it was the very first time uh, in the history of the church, going all the way back, where the church actually clarified what does what is a Catholic university? It wasn't in canon law uh, very clear uh, until 1983. There were some canons that were issued on higher education, but ex corde ecclesiae finally said this is what a Catholic university is. So, what was the response to that? I mean, I I wasn't tuned in at all at that point. So, although I was just out of college, mm-hmm. <laughs> a Catholic college, by the way, and of course left the faith, which is the way it goes. Um, but the response to ex corde ecclesiae uh, with a lot of schools was. Was it, was it accepted? Was it celebrated? Was it blown off? What seemed to be the re- response? No, there was a very strong response against it in the United States. Uh, the uh, the head of the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities here explicitly said that the ex corde ecclesiae was dead on arrival uh, on the shores of the United States, and there was a strong reaction against it. And and that's really where where we got started with the Cardinal Newman Society and and fought strongly for implementation of ex corde. And I'd say the results have been somewhat mixed. I I don't think that it's been uh, in forced quite the way that it might be, but at least the the U.S. bishops have stood very strongly by its provisions. Okay, because I was going to say, other than you guys, the Cardinal Newman Society, is anyone anyone working for the enforcement of ex corde? And you say the bishops, but I don't know. In some places, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of action behind that support. No, and you know, again, all of this falls within historical realities. I mean, the the fact is is that this came out right along with all the sex abuse crisis and the loss of a certain clout that the bishops had even within the church to make things happen um, and frankly a lack of desire to be engaging in high-profile battles with universities in their diocese in the midst of all of this um, and meanwhile the the bishops primary focus has been on elementary and secondary education which uh, you know you could at least see a, a lot of good arguments for for why they need to do that so for all of those reasons and probably many more or there hasn't been a lot of emphasis on reining in the the problems in Catholic colleges, although there's been some, and and we are, like I said earlier, I think we are seeing a positive movement forward. I know the uh, bishop, perhaps archbishop of the Green Bay Diocese, uh, whose name I can't recall right now, but he had a somewhat open battle, I believe, with St. Norbert, uh, which was encouraging. So it was good to see uh, some of them getting into it, um, but I'd like to see more of it. Were there's just obvious problems, but I know there's a real mindset of, you know, oh, no, no, the bishop is not to interfere. He has no business here. So it's, it's, it's discouraging, but hopefully they will uh, eventually um, start chiming in some more. I what I want to do now is we've got uh, a bunch more questions. Can we have a little more time, uh, a little more of your time, Patrick? Absolutely, would love to. All right, great. Well, then I want to take a break at this point uh, because then we can get into kind of the, this last round of questions. This is a fascinating conversation about the state of Catholic education. Uh, Patrick Riley is president and founder of the Cardinal Newman Society. If you are not familiar with the society, you can 
can learn all about it, cardinalnewmansociety.org. They're online. They do reports. They've got resources uh, to help, and we'll talk more about that at the end here. But uh, great, great stuff. So um, keep listening to Men of Christ Radio on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. We're sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. God bless it. We'll be right back. This is Joe Scheidler in Chicago. Want to learn some Latin? Well, here are three simple words that say it all. Ora et labora. That's the motto of the Benedictines, and that means pray and work. Pray for the 4,000 babies who will be cruelly killed in legal abortions today in American cities alone. But also work to end abortion. Pray and work. How do you work? Well, come out to an abortion clinic near you. Pray there, but also talk to the women going in. Offer them help. If you want to know how, give us a call. We're the Pro-Life Action League in Chicago. Call us at 773-777-2900. That's 773-777-2900. Or contact us at prolifeaction.org. What kind of shape is your soul in? I'm inviting you to consider making a weekend of spiritual exercise. We're talking a retreat with the Lord, prayer, meditation, quiet, and beautiful Barrington at the Bellarmine Jesuit Retreat House. Come check out the possibilities at jesuitretreat.org. That's J-E-S-U-I-T retreat.org. Come to the quiet so the quiet can come to you. Okay, we're back. Men of Christ Radio. My name is Brian Farley. We're talking to Patrick Riley, president and founder of the Cardinal Newman Society, about the state of Catholic education. And um, in many cases, it's not good, but there is hope. So <laughs> please stay tuned for that because we want to and want to end on a positive note here. Um, but Patrick, I have a, a, a thought in my observation of all this personally and from afar and everything else. But it seems to me that the the decline in catechesis or the decline in people's understanding of what the Catholic faith actually is, is kind of contributing to this problem. In other words, parents keep sending their kids to schools that charge more because they say they're Catholic, but they're not apparently Catholic. And, and alumni don't seem to be tuned into what's what's going on. And to me, that's it's, it's like a self-propagating problem. We, we don't teach Catholicism, therefore nobody knows what Catholicism is, therefore the offenses against it are not recognized. Is, is there anything to that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. And uh, and it's actually why over the last several years, uh, you know, when I started the Cardinal Newman Society in 1993, uh, we were entirely focused on Catholic higher education and the problems there. Uh, but dealing with all of that means working at the elementary and secondary level. And so we've expanded our mission to work there. And, and, and we do a lot of our work in, in elementary and secondary today. Um, both because, yes, we need Catholics who are well well formed, uh, well informed about the faith. Um, there's also just the the very practical issue of you know when you look at the the church today at, at Catholic adults and you ask how many Catholic adults have experienced at any point in their life, even for just a year, a good, strong, faithful Catholic education, and it's a it's a real minority in the church. It's a small minority, and it's a it's a shrinking number because more and more Catholics, certainly at the higher education level, are not going 
between the Catholic colleges. And uh, even at the elementary and secondary level, we're, we're shrink shrinking dramatically in the number of, of Catholics who go to Catholic schools. Um, we are seeing increases in the homeschooling and in other areas, and that's very, very exciting. Um, but we've got to get our act together uh, in Catholic education in, in many ways. Uh, um, practical concerns like finances and governance and all these other things, but also uh, simply in terms of being strongly and unapologetically Catholic and knowing that the root of Catholic education, the fundamental purpose of Catholic ed education is evangelization. We are trying to bring people to Christ. And as long as we keep that in mind, I do think that uh, things will get better. And like I said, I, I think they are getting better. Do you, uh, I've heard people throw the term false advertising around. I mean, is is there a point where in some of these cases um, it, it could almost almost be a legal issue uh, the the claims of we're Catholic this we're Catholic that but then there's literally or almost literally nothing there um, yeah we've uh, we've certainly looked at that um, because in terms I mean, as a justice issue I think there's no question that that in many cases it is false advertising or at least de you know deceptive advertising. Um, the problem is, of course, that, that in the United States, for the very same reasons that the National Labor Relations Board and, and the government should be staying out of Catholic education, uh, our courts are not uh, permitted to come in and make a determination about whether a school is Catholic or not Catholic or sufficiently Catholic. That's up to our bishops. And so in an in a instance where a bishop very clearly declared an institution not Catholic, uh, certainly there would be, I think, the potential for an actual legal case. But um, it, meanwhile, it's a battle that we have to deal with within the church. And, and I think that's good. I think that's healthy that, that our culture recognizes that this is an internal church matter and it needs to be resolved that way. That, I think, uh, as you're saying that, reminds me, is it uh, William Blatty or Walter Blatty? the author of The Exorcist. William Peter Blatty, yep. Yeah, he was a Georgetown alumni and uh, was not at all pleased with what was going on at Georgetown and appealed, I believe, to the bishop and allegedly things went off to the Vatican. I think yep. he was just trying to get them uh, just reported on. I, I don't know what a better term is. Uh, but does anything ever come of that? I know he well, passed that away. Was, yeah, that was a very interesting. So the church does have its own juridical process. You know, we have canon law, and we worked a lot with 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 Mr. Blatty on that project. the The case is not officially closed. Um, he appealed to the you know the Archbishop of Washington. The Archbishop said, "Well, you know, Georgetown is is one of two universities in the United States, including Catholic U, that's chartered by the Vatican, and so um, you know this." properly belongs at the Vatican. And so the case went up to the Vatican and uh, it was came to them while Cardinal Burke was still the head of the Apostolic Signatura, yeah. which would have been outstanding if he had had an opportunity to rule on this. Um, unfortunately, you know, he was moved out and then there was a long period where there was no one there and now uh, things are just kind of getting going and we don't really have a clear sense of exactly what, if anything, will happen with this case. You know, one of the things with church law, it's not as clearly defined in terms of the processes as, as maybe, you know, American law would be. And so I suppose if the church wants to, to not rule on it, they can simply not. So we, we've not seen a result of it, but I, I thought that was a very innovative and an appropriate 
response. Uh, it wasn't just Mr. Blatty. It was he had hundreds of alumni and students and faculty and others who joined in that petition. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting case, and I'm curious. It, it, I, I had assumed it kind of just went off into nowhere, but I'm glad to hear it's still active because I think that could be a real uh, landmark um, event, depending on what comes of it. Right. So. In some schools, I mean, uh, uh, secular schools will have uh, Cardinal Newman centers. Other schools, Catholic schools, like I think St. Thomas in Minnesota has a, a Catholic studies center or program. Yep. Is is that a helpful thing for Catholic schools, or is that just kind of an admission of defeat and, you know, the ghettoization of Catholicism, which was the what they were trying to avoid in the first place? Um, I, I didn't, I wasn't thrilled with, with the whole program. Because for that reason, that that basically it gave University of St. Thomas an opportunity to point to something that was really outstanding. I mean, what, what Don Briel created at the university was just outstanding. And, and from my what I understand, I haven't looked at it in a long time, but still is, uh, just a great Catholic studies program. But you're living in an environment that, boy, I mean, the, the campus environment up there and the general tenor at the university, I think, is very problematic. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't really think that that was certainly the solution for Catholic universities to go in that direction. Now, I have seen where it can be used in a different way in which, uh, you know, a Catholic studies program for certain institutions that are trying genuinely to strengthen uh, their Catholic identity can can use a Catholic studies program to bring in really good people and work around you know maybe some problematic chairman in the theology department or religious studies or whatever you call it and use that as a way of, of you know kind of a step toward strengthening the institution. Um, so that's very hopeful. You know the in terms of the Newman centers or the you know these these days there a lot of them are called different things but these Catholic campus ministries at other schools that I think is very problematic too. I, on the one hand. And uh, the vast majority of Catholics today go to non-Catholic institutions. So having a good, strong Catholic center with with uh, reverent mass and some opportunities, uh, you know, for for the sacraments and and some uh, catechesis and such. That's great. Uh, but again, the problem is is you're not getting a Catholic education, certainly in the classroom. Um, you know, and that that affects not just not having theology classes, but learning uh, medicine or science or history or literature in ways that are antithetical to our Catholic faith. Increasingly at many of these secular schools. And then the campus life very often is just decadent at these places. And so uh, I think it's really, I think it's dangerous to assume that, well, if I go to a secular institution that has a good Catholic center, all will be fine. You know, there's too many instances where it's not fine and where we see our, our good Catholic men and women leaving the faith or coming out rather disturbed about what they think the faith is. That's interesting because it again brings back to mind uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen's uh, statement and I think the general message of Ex Corde Ecclesia that Catholic education isn't just, you know, school with church or school with mass, but the the light of Christ shining through every discipline, every subject matter and and illuminating it and characterizing it in a way that you wouldn't get anywhere else. That's right. that, That does seem to be very rare. Um, and, and recapturing that, quite a challenge. Um, 
do you do you well obviously you do think that uh, lapsed colleges and universities can make themselves catholic again and if so how do you do that <laughs> well we've seen a number of instances it takes strong leadership basically and and at least the the tacit approval of the of the board um you know we one of the the institutions that today is usually pointed to as one of the most vibrant in terms of its catholic identity is the franciscan university of steubenville yeah. well back in the the 70s <laughs> This was a party school. Uh, Father Michael Scanlon, uh, God rest his soul, um, who who really turned the place around. I mean, he talked about how you walk around on campus, you'd be crunching on the old beer tab, beer can tab, uh, and and it was not. You know, academically strong, and he came in and and really turned the place around. And he had a mandate to do that. He told the trustees, "If you want me to be president, this is what I'm going to do." Um, so he did that there. Uh, the Catholic University of America, um, it, you know, even after we started the Cardinal Newman Society in the 1990s, there were serious problems there with its theology and and in many of its other departments. And uh, Father. David O'Connell, now Bishop O'Connell in Trenton, um, really turned that place around. And then now John Garvey, the president, has made a strong emphasis on hiring and bringing on really good Catholics in all departments. Uh, and not just Catholics, but people who really strongly enhance the Catholic identity of the institution. And it's it's going great. So there are absolutely ways of turning these places around. Which is that's really really encouraging. And you then you earlier also mentioned the the new institutions that came up somewhat in response to Land O'Lake's statement, the Thomas Aquinas and Christendom, and uh, Thomas More and the others. And um, that's also very encouraging. That the, the spirit's very much alive. Uh, yep. It's no no small task to start a school. So these people are obviously quite passionate about. It's uh, not. Yeah. And that was the first. First wave. So now what's been very exciting is over the last 10 years or so, we've seen another wave. So we've seen Ave Maria, Wyoming Catholic College, John Paul the Great out in San Diego. Yeah. Um, you know, and so you add those to the ones that have, have really strengthened their Catholic identity, like Walsh in Ohio and uh, Benedictine College in Kansas. And so it's it's very exciting. I and mean, we recommend, you know, a good couple dozen uh, strong residential colleges and then many other good, they're increasing online programs and international programs that are 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 great and offer a variety of majors and a variety of options to students. So uh, it's no longer true that a, uh, a good Catholic student can't find a good Catholic education with a whole variety of options. Which is excellent. And I know you guys do a fa fabulous job of making it easier for people to find those options. Uh, again, cardinalnewmansociety.org. Uh, just real quickly, what are some of the resources you guys provide people? Uh, so we have our, our Newman Guide to Choosing a Catholic College which identifies and recommends and profiles the really good, strong, faithful Catholic colleges. We have a, another resource called My Future, My Faith, which uh, just really helps with the transition to college, the search for colleges, and just a ton of great variety of, of uh, advice type of articles. Um, and that's all in higher education. And then, like I said, elementary and secondary, we've been doing a lot with uh, helping to build a strong, faithful Catholic curriculum at these schools and uh, basically reaction to the common core standards and uh you know it's all been it's all been great it's very exciting and, and the bishops are 100 percent supportive that's great that's great and and god bless you guys for all you do and in addition to all that you also speak here and there and in fact yep. uh you 
will be uh, here in the Milwaukee area on September 15th. A little plug here at the Schoenstatt Center in uh, Waukesha. Beautiful out there. September 15th, 7 p.m., Mr. Patrick Riley will be speaking about uh, the rebirth of classical Catholic education, um, which is a glorious and hopeful thing. So uh, do uh, come out there, folks, September 15th, 7 p.m. at the Schoenstatt Center. Um, so, Patrick, I really, really appreciate your time. I know you're always in high demand, especially this summer, but all the time. And um, I hope to be able to meet you uh, when you're out here. But uh, either way, I really appreciate your time here with us today. And uh, God bless you and the Cardinal Newman Center of uh, Society for all you do. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to getting up there. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, I think I still have some quick time to finish this show properly. This is Men of Christ Radio. We always like to try and finish with the prayer to St. Michael. So uh, if anyone would care to join me, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. All right, folks. Well, thank you again very much for joining us on Men of Christ Radio. We will be back. And remember, March 10th, 2018, the Men of Christ 12th Anniversary Conference. You've been listening to Men of Christ Radio on WSFI 88.5 FM, Catholic Radio. For more information on this or any other radio program, visit wsfiradio.org or email info at wsfiradio.org. Learn more about the Men of Christ. Visit menofchrist.net. Since 1921, the Gridiron Grace Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers have been battling helmet to helmet. Yes, this rivalry between the Bears and the Pack is the fiercest and most chronicled in the NFL. Now's your chance to be a part of it. Join us on September 12th at 6 p.m. for a Bears-Packers history shootout. Chicago Bears owner Pat McCaskey takes on John Lombardi, grandson of Vince. Try to stump the experts, and perhaps they will stump you. At Holy Rosary Parish, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Admission is $10 a person, $25 for a family, and $5 for a student with ID. Call 224-206-8455 for tickets, or go online at wsficatholicradio.org. That's 224-206-8455, wsficatholicradio.org. Proceeds to benefit WSFI Catholic Radio. Hello, I'm Patrick Riley, president of the Cardinal Newman Society. I'm looking forward to being at the Schoenstatt Retreat Center in Waukesha on September 15th at 7 o'clock. We'll be talking about Catholic education and classical education, the renewal that is undergoing Catholic education today, and it's very exciting, so I hope to see you there. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states.
The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Sauve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Pizza Dulcedo, et spes nostra salve. A te clamamus, exules filiebe, a te suspiramus, gementes et flentes, in hoc lacrimarum vale. Ea ergo, advocata nostra, illus tuos misericordes oculos ad nos convete. Et Iesu, benedictum fructum ventris tui, Nobis postoc exilium ostende. Oh. 